Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. As we continue our series that we're doing called, Do You Want to Get Well? Do you want to get well? And um, this series, most of you know by now because we've been into it for a long time, has uh, you know, started with an encounter that Jesus has with a man by the pool of Bethesda who's very sick, and he's been that way for a long time. And that, that Jesus um, sees him, engages him in conversation, um, offers the kingdom of God to him well, with the question, do you want to get well? And I've said it's just such a fascinating question that it, that it reaches into virtually every area of our lives, uh, which is why we're spending so much time on it. It just goes in so many directions. It's, it's not a simple answer of, you know, of course I want to get well. It's, it's really a, a question of, of, do you want to do um, and experience life God's way or do you want to do life your way? And uh, uh, if, if you say yes to doing things God's way, then you know, the question goes into, are you willing to make some changes? Are you, are you willing to um, trust God in areas of your life and, and uh, have faith? Are you, are you willing to break out of what's familiar if familiar is not good for you? Um, these are the questions that, that arise. And I've said that revolving around that question um, is where we experience a spiritual battle that we're engaged in that we have a very real adversary who wants to steal life away from us, and we have Jesus who's come to give us life. And that, that you know, we've, we saw that in John 10.10. 10. Both those things are in that, in that passage of Scripture. And Jesus wants us to have full and abundant now and forever life, and the adversary wants to steal it away from us. Um, the adversary, our adversary was rendered virtually powerless at the cross, um, and, and yet uh, he has some um, ability to operate until Jesus comes back again, which is what we'll be talking about in the kingdom of God stuff on Sunday nights. Um, but that uh, virtually what he has now in, in, uh, to work against us are tricks and lies and deceptions because uh, Jesus has all the power and he gives that power to us. So our adversary, like I said, virtually powerless, but he's very deceptive, the father of lies, and um, he's, he's been craftily trying to steal life away from us by causing us to be fearful, causing us to be worried, causing us to get busy, causing us to get distracted, trying to keep us out of the word, trying to keep us from prayer, um, trying to keep us from the things that will, will cause us to have life and to settle for, for things that have no life in them. Um, and, and that's where the battle lies. And my hope has been that um, as an encouragement to decide to make changes, we would see that, that the life that we could experience is in effect being stolen from us by our adversary and that hopefully will motivate us to, to keep pressing in, to live by doing the next right thing and to experience the life that we can experience in Jesus. And so um, this has been the discussion that we've had uh, up to the point, and, and uh, I'm gonna, we're going to continue on in our series today, but, but I want to talk about um, some areas um, of, of our life and how making some changes, and then, and then outwardly, and then you know, as we change, um, using the changes happening in us to encourage others uh, in the process. And so I want to spend some time talking about that. Before I do, I have some... So you, I know you guys like to do like, just something different before I launch into the actual message as we move from the intro into the message. And so I, I thought, what, what, what lies at the bottom of the ocean and twitches? A nervous wreck. No, I don't know if I should keep that or not. The human cannonball tells a circus owner he's going to retire. But you can't protest the boss. Where am I going to find another man of your caliber? 
What do you get when you cross the Atlantic Ocean with the Titanic? Halfway. That's bad, right? That's just, it's wrong. Does it border on wrong? <laughs> Scripture reading. Always to get me out of trouble. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And blessed be the word of the Lord. I love that um, passage. Um, that's, that's a description of what the, some of the, the life that we should experience in Christ looks like. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, his life in him allows us to find rest and be at peace. And, and when we're not having those things, it's usually because we're, we're really stuck out in the battle and we're, we're missing the main parts. So, um, like I said, we've been talking about this guy at the Pool of Bethesda and how he'd been sick for a very long time. And, and the heart of the message is that, that in effect, and, and hopefully you've gotten this by now, that we're all in some ways like this guy at the Pool of Bethesda. First point you know is we're all, we're all spiritually sick. All of us. Mark 2, 16 and 17 says this. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come call, to call the righteous, but sinners. So, so first point there is we're all spiritually sick. All of us are suffering from the sickness of sin. And, and it's a fatal condition. It's only through the cross that we can be healed. Only through Jesus. None of us is good enough in our own strength. None of us can ever try hard enough or perform well enough to be righteous apart from Jesus. And, and so that needs to be the understanding that we, we come at this entire process with. Um, what that should do for us is, is help us to understand that, that we need to um, not become judgmental and critical of others and their sin. And yet, the religious, the established religious community, if, if use that term, has this tendency of once they sort of come in and connect with Jesus to move away from the grace and mercy that they needed to get in, to shift into a performance mode um, in order to try and maintain what they think life looks like, following rules, and then their hearts get hardened, and all of a sudden, rather than pe being people of grace and mercy, uh, trying to encourage people, other people to know Jesus, they, they, um, they begin to judge and condemn and criticize and finger point. And, and they become ineffective in the um, ministry that God has given to all of us. And we have a tendency in that process then to sort of focus on certain sins that we think are the worst sins of the day and then to let others kind of, well, they, that's not really a big deal. And, and usually the sins that we don't care much about are the ones that we're actively involved in ourselves. Um, and, you know, I always say that the church has a tendency to focus on some things, but, but like, you know, um, um, one of the big ones that, that most people don't even, like, like gossip. Is, well, that's not a big deal. And yet, the sin of gossip is spoken about more in Scripture than just about any other sin. Um, God doesn't like it. And, and yet, we all, well, that's not a big deal. 
And we, so we, we continue to engage in stuff. Well, that's, but, but then we focus on other sin, like, oh, and, and this becomes this, this big process. And so what we have to um, understand is, and we'll see it in, as we look in the scripture, when if we do that and we start to look at certain sins as, you know, oh, well, that's the, the worst thing you can possibly be, we have a tendency then to withdraw from those people. And those are the people that need grace and mercy as much as we do. Um, to withdraw, like somehow if we hang out with those people that we're going to get infected by whatever it is they have, but we're already infected because all, we're all spiritually sick, see? We've all, we're all sinners. And, uh, and so... Um, the only difference is that in Christ, we've found the ultimate cure. That's the only difference. In Christ, we find the cure for the sickness of sin. He's the cure. And, and, uh, and so, um, it's not that sin can't still impact us, it's just no longer fatal to us in Christ. And that's the good news that we have. And, and that realization should keep us in a spot where we, um, we have a concern and a compassion for the people that are around us. Because the church um, is supposed to be a place where diseased people can find the cure, not a place where people are judged because they're sick. So, you know, just kind of let that, make sure that's spinning through your brain. See, that's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where sick people can come and find the cure. Not, not a place where, where people come who are sick and then they're judged for being sick. And so, that's why it's so important that we, we take a good look at this uh, in the process. Now, it doesn't mean that the church doesn't have standards, because certainly we do. We have the scripture, and, and there's a definite right, and there's a definite wrong. Um, but but it, our focus needs to be helping sin-sick people meet the cure, not consumed with pointing out their disease. And, and that's what we have to make sure we get our get our hands around, that, that we understand in this process that that's what we're here for, and that's, that's our mission. So, so I want to talk about, for a, a few weeks, this idea, and, and uh, under the concept of encouraging well, that, that uh, we need to encourage well, and, and I want to talk about the second point, the life-changing power of encouragement, the life-changing power of encouragement. Matthew seven twelve. so in everything, due to others, what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And we've touched on this a lot in the past, but, but here's how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to treat people the way we want to be treated. And with that in mind, and with already that we've talked about, um, we really don't want to have people judge us for our struggles. And we don't want to be known by our failures. Um, and, and we don't want to be labeled by our mistakes and our errors in judgment. And, and we don't want our sin to be our namesake, and neither does anybody else. So we don't want to be labeled by our sin. We all got it, but we certainly, that, it's not how we want to be referred. I, you know, I, I touched on the sin of gossip because I said it's, but, but you, you wouldn't want to be labeled a gossip, even if you were, you, you get it? I mean, that's a horrible, the labels are horrendous. Because once we start to label people, we treat them differently. Because we, we just, we get real hard line with that stuff and we begin to treat them completely differently. So we have to be very careful on how that others. So um, once we understand that first point that I talked about, that we're all impacted spiritually by sin, we're all spiritually diseased, um, then, then I think it's, once we get that, it's easier to put down our, our microscope of judgment and just start to see people the way that Jesus does. Because that's the way we want to be seen. So that's what I love about this encounter at the, at the, at the pool 
Jesus goes and sees this guy that everybody else has missed, who's so sick, and he's invisible, basically. He doesn't have any friends. He's all alone. But Jesus sees him. And Jesus goes over and begins conversation with him and, and starts to talk to him and, and extends the kingdom of God to him because that's what he did with everybody that he met. And in this case, it was with the simple, do you want to get well? You'd have been a mess for a long time. Are you comfortable like that? Is that how you, do you want to get, do you want to, you want to change? I'll help you if you want to change. See, and, and that's where he was at. And so when, when Jesus was in his earthly ministry here, when he looked at people, even though he was fully aware of, of sin in their lives, um, he chose never to make that the focus. Instead, he'd, he'd look for and at the good in people, the potential they had, and that's what he would focus on. And he does that over and over and over and over again. Let me, let me give a couple more encounters so you can see this, this life-changing power of encouragement in action. Um, little point A there under number two. Um, let's, let's look at an, uh, an encounter that he has with a tax collector. Now remember, um, tax collectors were, they had their own classification at this point in history. There were tax collectors and sinners. Um, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, the established religious community, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Matthew was a tax collector. And as such, he was hated by the religious leaders and the people. Tax collectors at this point in history were considered to be the scum of society. They were considered traitors to their nation uh, and, and they were people that would sell themselves to the highest bidder. And so they were ostracized by society and they weren't allowed entrance into the synagogues. They were completely shut off. And, and, um, and so, you know, at that point in time, uh, if you were part of the established religious community, you would rather have dinner with a murderer in your house than you would with a tax collector. That's where, that's where these people were, were um, put in, in the scale of things. And I've, throughout history, the established religious community always has some tax collectors. It just changes what, what they're going to consider is the worst thing at the moment. And these are the, well, you can't have anything to do with these people. See, and the, that's where the church begins to miss it. But, but um, Matthew, because of that, really wasn't a likely candidate for the role of apostle with Jesus, and yet Jesus calls him to follow, and he does. Jesus sees the potential in Matthew, and he encourages him to change, and he does. And ultimately, Matthew would write a letter to his, country, uh, to his countrymen that would become a part of the best-selling book of all time. It's a timeless defense of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Matthew. And, and it's only in his gospel that Matthew records something that demonstrates the changing, life-changing power of encouragement that he found in Jesus. And it was our scripture reading today. It's only in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew eleven twenty-eight thirty, 30. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Only Matthew records that. It impacted Matthew. Because of where he was and who he was and how he came in and how Jesus, God in the flesh, 
looked at him and saw the potential that was in him. Didn't see him the way everybody else did. The way society did, the way the established religious community did. Just saw him with potential of who he could be. And he writes the Gospel of Matthew. Which is you know, probably one of the most read um, pieces of literature in history. And, and it's because of Jesus and how he looked at people and the encouragement. He just encouraged Matthew to change by calling him to follow. So come follow me. Life will be better. Life will be different. Come follow me. So let's look at another one. And uh, this one I, I called a failure. Because we don't like to be judged by our failures. But uh, this is someone who, who has a, makes a big failure. And yet Jesus, uh, well watch what Jesus does. Mark 1. 16 through 17. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I've always liked Peter. Um, I, I think he uh, is just representative of, of a lot of people. He's, he's kind of rough on the outside. He makes a lot of mistakes. He says some things that would better be left unsaid. Anybody ever have that? Anybody like that? Um, and he might not seem like great apostle material either. And yet Jesus sees something in Peter that, that causes him to invite Peter to follow him as well. And, and uh, Peter's an interesting guy. There was a lot of stories I could have gone with but throughout the thing. But, but you can read about Peter and how he does it. He does it really right sometimes and he really messes up other times. But, but at the very end of, of Jesus' Um, you know, ministry here on earth, the public ministry, um, Peter messes up big time. Uh, he's, already, he's told Jesus, look, I'll never leave you. I'm going to be there with you no matter what. And, and Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. Peter goes, no way. No way. Look what happens. Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, he said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're, you're one of them for your accent gives you away. And he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and he, wept bitterly. Sure enough, he'd failed Jesus. Um, just there in the, in the fear of it all, and whatever, whatever the reasons, he'd just completely blown it. But, but Jesus would make sure that Peter was restored and encouraged. And I, I love this about Jesus. So in, in the Gospel of John now, in chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, um, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, bless, bless you, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, 
follow me. Uh, I, I think it's huge that, that Jesus asked Peter that three times because Peter had denied him three times. And he wanted him restored and encouraged to, to, to uh, continue on in the plan that God had for him. And, and so just as Jesus had done when he first met Peter, he invites him to follow still. And Peter, on the day of Pentecost, which would happen a few short days after this encounter, would stand up and deliver a message that would deeply touch the hearts of people listening. And 3,000 of them came to Jesus that day, and the first church was started. And, and Peter, the fisherman, had become a fisher of men, which is just what Jesus saw when he first met him. I love that. See, that's what Jesus saw when he met Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Come on. And, and even though he'd blown it so desperately, Jesus restored him and encouraged him. And sure enough, exactly what Jesus saw in him took place. See, that's how Jesus always sees us, with this, the, the beauty of our potential. And he's, he's constantly there to restore us and encourage us. And he wants us to live in this world like that. See, because encouraging well has the power to, to help heal and transform the lives of people. And so we, we need to learn to see people the way that God does so we can look past their sin and their failures and encourage their potential to grow as children of God. And that's what we'll be talking about. As we talk about getting well, we'll talk about how as we engage in that process ourselves, we're to be those that encourage well to help other people along in the journey. So the next few weeks, we're gonna spend some time talking about encouraging well. But you've got a good foundation for why now and uh, we'll pick it up from there as we move forward. So if you're watching on uh, video or by television, thank you so much for spending time with us. We appreciate it. We know how valuable your time is. And uh, we'd love to have you visit us sometime here at Big Pine if you're ever in the area. Come and see us. If you need prayer, go to our website at keysvineyard.com, find the prayer page, and just uh, send us a prayer request, and we will pray for you. You can call us, and we'll certainly pray for you that way as well. But thank you for spending time with us, and we will see you soon.